Do you remember that story? It was made into a movie called Dead Man Walking. It is the story of a man who is on death row and the nun who accompanies him on his journey, both physically and spiritually. That story, uh, which was a book and then it was a movie and then it was an opera, is based on a true story. And the nun from the story, her name is Sister Helen. And she has written a memoir called River of Fire and a couple of other books. But whenever I read what she writes or hear her speak, I just can't help but think this is a life that is just bursting with love. And I don't know about you, but when I meet people like that or I'm exposed to their writing or I hear them, hear from them, I, I have this curiosity in my mind. And the curiosity is this. What's the backstory? Like, what is the backstory on a life that is bursting with so much love? Like, what were the circumstances and what created the kind of person who acted so bravely and spread love so wholeheartedly? And how can I lean in and listen to that life and maybe borrow some of what that person has fostered and practiced in their own life. Sister Helen's story became very big, you know, made into a movie, but like all stories, it started very small. She didn't know what she was getting into when she became pen pals with a man on death row. She was just, at that point, doing the next right thing answering the whisper and the nudge of the Holy Spirit to write a letter. She didn't know that that would turn into a pen pal relationship. In her early days of her life, she, uh, was, she was born into a Catholic family and became a nun herself. She lived a very contemplative life. Um, she was very devoted uh, to prayer and to meditation and to contemplation. In fact, what she says of her life today is that when she looks back on the early days of her life as a nun, she can see how she was so inspired by Christian mystics like Teresa of Avila that she wanted to attain the same sort of union that she read about their attaining. And she was so driven to attain that. You know, she read about these, these Christian mystics who would experience such union with God that they would actually levitate in the kitchen of their own home. And she wanted that, and she sought that, and she wanted to attain that. And now, later in life, she looks back and she says, wow, I can see a whole lot of my own ego in that pursuit of the contemplative life. It's interesting. Around about the age of 40, she started to be exposed to God's heart for the poor, God's care for justice, social action. And she actually was outside, and someone had a clipboard on the sidewalk, and they were basically just gathering people, would you write to someone who's in prison? She's sure. I could do that. She was an English major, so she thought to herself, well, I could write a few poems and write somebody a letter, and so she said yes. And so she writes, and the inmate that she wrote to, uh, his name was Pat, and he writes back. He was 
convicted of some very terrible things, and they became pen pals. And she learns that he doesn't have anyone to visit him in prison because his mother was not very mentally stable and she could not step foot on the place where she knew her son was awaiting execution. She just couldn't do that. So Pat, he doesn't have any visitors. So she writes to him. Sister Helen writes to Pat and says, can I come visit you? And he says, sure. And so she arrives to visit him on that first day and She's required to fill out a form, and she has to say who she is and what relationship she has with the person that she's visiting. Well, the only category that applies is spiritual advisor, so she checks that box. Little does she know that the only person who will be allowed to be with Pat until the very end is his spiritual advisor. She has no idea when she checks that box on that first visit that two and a half years later, she would be the one to be with him that whole day leading up to his execution. That at the moment of his death, that she would look at him and she would say, just look at my face. You just look at my face. Her face was the only face that Christ had in that moment as he breathed his last. Her face was the face of love to the unlovely on death row, to the unlovable. Where does a love like that come from? The scriptures say that love is born of God. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. When we see a life of love, it's easy to think, to want to give that person a lot of credit. The lie of the self-care industry is that love can be purchased, that love can be manufactured and sold. The lie of religion is that love comes from imitating a moral teacher. That, you know, even here in church, it's subtle, but it is a significant error when we begin to think that it is our obedience, it is our obedient and faithful lives in following Jesus that make us more loving. Yes, of course, we play a part, but in the end, love is born of God. It starts with God, it ends with God, it is sustained by God, and all the credit, all the credit goes to God. The truth of the Bible is that love is born of God. It's a gift, so we do not achieve it, we receive it. It is not something we earn, it is something we surrender to. Love is grace. And as we respond to the voice of love that is always calling us in every season, in every moment, as we respond to the voice of love, love begins to bloom, and like a flower that petal by petal and leaf by leaf opens up gradually over time, so can a life. 
Love is not just about being nice. It is about wishing and willing good. Love in our culture is usually associated with either romantic feelings or deep affection. Like, I love my spouse, I love my children. It's a feeling of niceness toward other people that, you know, we can, we can retain it for a little while, but it usually, usually won't last. Like, we can be nice for a while and then go off and sulk or be nice to someone to their face, but be secretly holding a grudge or kind of make it through that thing, but go away and gossip. Sometimes we even think God's love must kind of be like that too. The theologian D.A. Carson describes this sentimental view of love in this way as having all the awesome holiness of a cuddly toy or all the moral integrity of a marshmallow. Like in other words, this sort of sentimental view of love, it's not sturdy. It's not deep. It is a more shallow and shifting sort of love. Our current pandemic and our calling as followers of Christ demands something a great deal more profound than just sentimental niceness. Love is wishing and willing good. C.S. Lewis defines biblical love very well, not as a state of feelings, but an act of our will. This is what he says. It is that state of the will which we have naturally about ourselves and must learn to have about other people. Our love for ourselves does not mean that we like ourselves. It means that we wish our own good. See, love then, it isn't something we know how to do naturally except for ourselves. We naturally wish our own good. We do not naturally wish the good of others, especially not our enemies. And that is why the power of Christ's love, the power of Christian love, is not in loving the lovely, but in loving the unlovable. It is in, the power is in loving the unlovely. It is in loving a man on death row. We have to learn how to love others. That's the kind of love scripture speaks of and Christ has made a way. In 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul has this famous passage on love. He says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a ringing gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have absolute faith so as to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and exult in the surrender of my body but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no account of wrongs. Love takes no pleasure in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, 
hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. When Sister Helen will sometimes go and speak with university students, one of her lines is, she will say, you got to watch out for that sneaky Jesus. I love that. You got to watch out for that sneaky Jesus. She says, you know, when she says, when she agreed to write that letter, she had no idea it would turn into a pen pal relationship. When she said, oh, you don't have any visitors? Could I come visit you? She had no idea checking spiritual advisor would mean being with him till the very end. She was just doing, in those moments, the next right thing. And see, the story of her life, it inspires us now, because now we can kind of see like the beginning, the middle, and the end. But a life of love is built slowly over time. And it often begins with these gentle nudges with these tiny yeses, like a gentle nudge from God's spirit, a tiny yes from a human soul. Some of you right now are kind of like living in the long middle of a good story. And the thing about long middles is that they are key a long middle is a key part to a very good story. It just doesn't feel that way in real time. Like in real time, it may feel like nothing is happening of importance at all. Don't lose sight of love in the long middle because God does some of his best work in the long middle. One of the other things that Sister Helen talks about is grace for the moment and how she had to resist the temptation to jump ahead in time to imagine how this was going to end. She had to resist that temptation. She said that on the day of Pat's execution, if she thought ahead to 8 p.m., she couldn't do it. Like, if she thought ahead to that moment, she couldn't bear it. And so at the start of that day, she said, okay, it's 8 a.m., and we're here. Okay, it's noon, and we're here. Okay, it's 5 p.m., and we are here. Because God's presence is always in the present. And grace kind of comes up underneath us in the moment. When I am so focused on the future, how will this all pan out? What will happen? I am focused on something I cannot control. And God cannot meet me there because God is right here. When I am so focused on the past, God cannot meet me there because God is right here in the present moment. Isaiah 41.10 says this, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. Wherever you are right now, would you say those words with me? Would you just say them 
out loud so your own hear, ears might hear your own voice say those words. Let's say them together. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. God is saying to us, where am I? Right here, right now, closer than your next breath. Not in the past. Of course, God was there. Not in the future. Of course, God will be there too. God's presence is in the present. It is strength for the moment. Closer than your next breath. So how do we love? It's like one breath at a time. Allowing the risen Christ to live his life in and through you. It's an exchanged life. I die to myself and I allow the risen Christ to live in me. Because here's the thing. I'm not very good at living the kind of love that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians. But Christ has no problem with that. I'm not all that good at living a life of love myself, but Jesus has no problem with that. This is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to walk in the presence of God, to allow the indwelling presence of the risen Christ to consume you, to take over you. Not my will, but yours be done. This is how we love not just in a time of pandemic, but always. Because love is born of God. It's not something we muster up. It's not something we manufacture. It's not something that we find by following all the rules. Love is a gift. It is born of God. And friends, you inspire me. Your lives they inspire me. I'm inspired by the way in which I see Christ's love in you right now, in this season. And I know we're all getting tired. And I just want to say, all of those hidden, unseen ways that you are showing up in love, they inspire me like the mothers, the fathers, the teachers, the strangers, the homeschool work you're doing. It matters. The nurses, the doctors, the grocery store workers, all of this, this matters. You matter. It matters. I'm particularly inspired right now by all the first responders and the medical community is walking in each day to really difficult circumstances sometimes, to really tough situations. And uh, we were talking this week, you know, we just, we want to just honor you. All of you who are spreading love in different ways during this time of pandemic. And so just to do that this morning, we've prepared a little special song to share with you. And as you listen to the lyrics of this song and watch the images scroll, I just pray that this song might become a prayer for all of us to surrender more and more 
to the voice of eternal love who is always present, inviting us into deeper intimacy, into deeper communion. That's where love is born. That we might be transformed into love through Jesus Christ our Lord. May you and I continue to love wherever we are with open arms. As Christ loved, as Christ loved. It's a gift always of grace. Let's ask God for more love because love always starts with Christ, is sustained by Christ, ends with Christ. May we have the courage to say to those around us, even those who are afraid, even those who are nearing death, look at my face. Just look at my face. May your face be the face of love, be the face of Christ to those you see this week. Let's pray together as we close. God, would you help us to love with open arms like you do, a love that is born of you and sustained by you, a love that starts with you and ends with you, and for which we can only give you all the credit, all the glory. May our love be the kind of love that erases all the lines that divide us, not because we're so altruistic, but because you, God, are so good, you are so kind. Teach us to love those around us. Teach us to love our enemies. Help us to love the unlovely moments. For that is how you have loved us. Your love is grace, God. Your love is power. Your love is strength. We need more of your love. Help us to surrender to the mighty river that is always flowing. That river of salvation and forgiveness and mercy and healing that we would receive it ourselves and extend it to one another. When our kids look in our eyes, may they see you, God. When our friends look in our eyes, may they see you, God. When our colleagues and neighbors and patients and customers and strangers even look in our eyes, may they see your kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and love. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.